Finley Toyota Studio. It's Cofield and Company. Sharks dump it in with two and a quarter to go in the third. Reimer goes to the bench. Stone trying to tip it out. Couldn't get it to the point. And a shot from the point goes into the goal. It's Timo Meyer, and the Sharks are back within one. Here's Meyer, a shot blocked by a sprawling McNabb, and he uses his right leg to prevent it from going to the middle. Point shot goes wide. Rebound. They score at the horn. It will count. The Sharks have tied it 4-4. The rookie, Thomas Bortolo, can win it right here in his fifth NHL game. He works to the slot. He waits. He scores. Thomas Bortolo wins it in a shootout for the Sharks. 5-4 here at T-Mobile Arena. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on Monday, Cofield and Company NFL Draft Week right here in Las Vegas. Who'd have thunk it, right? We were the uh, scourge of the earth, according to the NFL, just, what, 10 years ago? Now, we've got one of the biggest events in all sports on the ground here in Las Vegas. Very cool. Adam Hill is the company today. What's up, Adam? It's draft week. It's here. I mean, it's So what it's does it mean building. for you? Where Are you just camped down after today? You're just camped down near the Strip? Yeah, I was I was actually just kind of squaring it away because I've been so focused on the prep stuff that I kind of didn't even take into consideration where I'd be, what I'd be doing, what's going to be going on. Uh, I guess starting tomorrow, 10 a.m. is the... Uh, First tour of the red carpet and checking all that stuff out. And I guess from so from about nine thirty tomorrow until Saturday night around eleven p.m. Pretty much just be on the strip. It's going to be a, a wild week. I know NFL Network already started their you know twenty four hours of broadcasting a day. I guess from from down there on the Bellagio Lake. Uh, I, I just I just noticed as as uh, just as we get in the car to come over here, our friend uh, Colleen Wolfel here on the show is going to be, I guess, being made to disappear at some point this week. She tweeted about that. She's like, well, draft week's upon us. So a lot of craziness, and it's all starting right now. We got Golden Knights news in. I don't even know where we are anymore. <laughs> well, what's been said, what the timeline has been, but we actually got a release from the organization on Robin Leonard. That's coming up. The loss, you heard some of the highlights coming in. That was terrible against San Jose, but uh, kind of figured it was coming, right? The the El Jinxo with... 11 straight, 11 straight without a loss in the uh, regular season, going back to, I think, 2019 or 18, and the Knights can't get it done with a lead. It was one of the games they actually, you know, didn't fall massively behind, and they blew it with a lead. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So expectations for the Knights, Adam, high. Uh, (laughs) It's, you know, built around the fact that they've made the playoffs every single year in their short history, so the fans think this is normal, and now they're sputtering to the close here. We'll go through all the scenarios. In the NBA, when you collect a bunch of stars like the Nets did, Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, uh, you expect to make some noise in the playoffs, like go to the finals. Now, obviously, Harden was swapped out for Ben Simmons. We'll get you the update on Ben Simmons. But this weekend didn't go any better for the Nets at home. You know, the series, it looks like, you know, turned heavily in that first game with that spinning, you know, whirling dervish finish by Jason Tatum to win the, the opening tilt. And now they're down 3 nothing, And there's no help on the way because who knows what's going on with <laughs> Ben Simmons. Um, you know, it's funny. We talk about the Knights and all the misinformation and hiding this and hiding that and confusion. 
you know, the coach sounds like he DeVore doesn't know what is going on sometimes. He's sending it feels like he's sending messages and, and press conferences and then there's the Nets. And then there's guys like Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving and it looks like none of this is going to work out. They're down three nothing. Game starts at four o'clock, and there's no help on the way. Simmons, I guess, is back seized up or something. I don't know. There was a big meeting today. Okay, so I think it was uh, Darren Waller's agent was there with uh, Kyrie today, and uh, they're meeting with the Mets. And that's Rich Paul, by the way. He was uh, he was there talking to them, trying to figure out what the situation is. There was a meeting of the minds between the organization and the team Simmons. I don't know if that was, hey, maybe we should try to play tonight, or <clears throat> who knows? A talk about the future, we don't really know. But there was a big meeting about the future of uh, Ben Simmons in Brooklyn uh, today. So I, who B- knows what's coming BBW, uh, Big Brian Winhorse said, uh, when I checked it out and talked to people involved, they were exasperated. He was checking out the Ben Simmons situation. They were just like, quote, he woke up and his back hurt, <laughs> and he wasn't able to play, and there wasn't much more to say. So yeah, it's next year for Ben well, Simmons. It, it also didn't make sense that the right future. It didn't make sense that he'd been trying to work his way back for months, and like the other day, like what Friday? Like, well, he's not going to play Saturday, but he'll be there Monday. Like, what? Well, if, how do you know if he's right. he's not going to be ready tomorrow, but he'll be ready in two days after months? That didn't make any sense. None of this has made sense. But you turn on the game, and it's pretty evident they could use one more player out on the floor to help out and. Uh, whether that was Ben Simmons or James Harden, um, somebody would have helped. And they tried to run out the corpse of Blake Griffin, who actually played incredibly well. But the real downfall for them the other day, which Griffin didn't play at all the la- the first two games of the series. They throw him in there. He plays just – he he makes a difference. He's scoring on the offensive end. He's hustling. He's diving. He's rebounding. He made a couple threes in a row. And then you look up and you're like, man, he has dominated the last four minutes. And they're a minus one. Like, they fell behind even further when when he was having his great stretch. That was not a good sign. Uh, Obviously, they couldn't get anything out of Kyrie after game one, really. And Kevin Durant was not Kevin Durant. And he sounds like he's losing his confidence, too. Now uh, now there's some mind games that he's dealing with. Well, we'll get to the Leonard news in a couple of minutes. Then the joke started. He's going to play for the Celtics now. Right? (laughs) Can't beat him. Join him. So... It couldn't have gone any worse. No. I, mean, I guess it could. They could have lost fifteen nothing. But the Knights against a team that and an organization they've dominated, control their own destiny. You just got to win a game against a team that's pretty hapless on the season. But you know there's still some familiar names out there, and of course a uh, hurdle gets them off to a one nothing start. Um, and then the Knights storm back, and multiple times look like they're in a comfortable position yeah. up three one and four two, and then it just came unraveled. And and the Sharks score basically at the buzzer to end the game. Yeah, on so, a, on a freaking you know fluky kind of. It was actually a smart play, just blasting yeah. it behind the net. It comes off the boards, just wide open. Thompson has no chance. And, and credit credit Burns for stopping the puck inside the zone, keeping it in the zone. If it leaves the zone, the game's obviously over. Um, it comes that comes on the heels of you know Mark Stone just missing an empty net, which you didn't think would matter. Because, you know, why would it? There's only 20 seconds left anyway. You're going to put the game away. Uh, They don't. Uh, This is the good and bad part of having a rival, by the way, right? Where if this is not a rivalry and the Sharks don't care, they probably pack it in when it's 4-2. Like, who cares? 
season, our season's over. So what does it matter? So it's the bad thing about having a rival in this sure. case. That, you know, the team actually wants to try and fight to the end, and they want to ruin your season, and that's that's kind of what you saw happen. Now, you made the case that it couldn't have been any worse. I will I will come back at you and say it could have been worse because if what happened last night happened with Robin Leonard in that, that building was probably torn down. Those fans would have rioted. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Went out to dinner last night with my good buddy Tom Pelissero over here and a couple unnamed sources. Went to great place. Love it. Tom spills his drink. Uh, real embarrassing. Has to say, hey, by the way, guys, I spilled my drink. Can you bring me another? They brought him a kitty cup. Mm. They brought him a sippy cup just so sippy he wouldn't cup. spill. Yeah. Pretty embarrassing. First drink, last drink of the evening. Night one in Vegas. A huge success. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Friggin' rookies. Come on, guys. Get it together. Be very interested where they were. Couldn't, couldn't hear it. Pelissaro and uh, was that Rap Sheet? Sounded like, that sounded like Schrager. I don't know. Let's not argue over who it was. We, we trust the Vast Sound crew. Okay. We trust them so much they beep out. Different restaurants around town. Sure. They're not partners with Lotus Broadcasting. So, but, but, it was, but it is good to know that one of David Chang's joints has a sense of humor. They were at a very, very nice place. Pork Belly Ramen is fantastic. Oh, look at this. Just giving it away. I didn't say where it was. I didn't. I had no idea you were hitting highfalutin places. That's, that's a really when do you have time to go to dinner? <laughs> not, not in the recent, not in the last month. Adam Hill, Cofield. Draft week is here. We're going to continue our path to the draft. We'll get to some of the teams near the top of the draft. We'll talk Texans and Commanders. Stupid name. I still don't like it. Commies. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I'm sure Snyder would, Snydog would love that nickname. I'm sure he loves Snydog. He's never heard it, but. I, like, I, th- I think I'm going to go with Commies for the whole year. It'd be great. The Washington Commies. They are, I mean, they're hiding money. Interesting. They are the bad guys of the NFL. Sure. Releasing emails, damaging other teams. So Knights lose. What's the situation now? Because they control their own destiny. No. How much more? No, I said they controlled. Yeah. How much help did they need? Um basically need well, they need obviously they need to win. They need to win all their games. That includes Dallas tomorrow is the biggest game. That's it. By far. Uh, but now, because of what happened, they'll need they'll need Dallas to. Well, first of all, they they need teams to lose in regulation. They can't even lose games down the stretch. But they'll need Dallas to lose another game uh, besides just tomorrow. And I think the way it works out, Dallas could lose one of the other ones. It can't be tomorrow, but they could lose one of their last two uh, in overtime or shootout. Um, but for the most part, it's win win out. And hope that, you know, Dallas loses one of the other games. Or hope, hope that, you know, Nashville's schedule is brutal. Hope that Nashville could potentially lose out. Um, the, the problem with that is that Nashville's schedule looks brutal on paper, but they're also playing teams that have kind of already clinched. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how much will they be really willing to throw forward? Um, they got a really tough break. Not only that the Knights lost their two-goal lead, but that Nashville was down 2-0 to Seattle on Saturday, came back and won. Um, so, you know, they need help from somebody now, and that's 
That's the bottom line. But here, here's the, you know, the gist of it is that the Knights have to go three and zero on the road. They just had three straight home games, two against two of the worst teams in the league, and only got you know three points out of it. And the two point two points they got the win was against the toughest team that was here. Uh, so it, it's crazy. But as Mark Stone said last night, he said, "Look, we need you know we need somebody to lose. We need somebody. We need some help." And he's like, on paper, it doesn't look great. He said, but it doesn't look great on paper that we would lose to New Jersey or San Jose. And we lost both. <laughs> so so you, they you lose in a shootout. They lose 5-4. They had a 4-2 lead. San Jose scores at the buzzer. And then in the overtime, the Knights had a ton of good chances. A ton of good chances. Then it goes to shootout. And no one can score until, how is this guy 12? How old is he? On the Sharks? <laughs> yeah. Bertolo? Yeah. What is, what is going on here? It was a sick move. It was ridiculous. He held the puck for so long. It looked like a video game, like just freezing it. Uh, yeah. Did he run it, the China route? Is that the, uh, the, the, is that Hunter, the Hunter Renfro 54-step, you know, eight-yard pattern? Yeah, well, and, and you know, as you pointed out, they couldn't score in overtime despite having a power play in overtime, which they maybe should have gotten a penalty shot instead of a power play, but I don't know that it would have mattered because they couldn't score in the shootout anyway. Um I mean, Eichel had good opportunities in the re- in the overtime. Freaking th- Carlson had basically a breakout. He couldn't score. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear what was happening in the overtime was that they were trying to be too perfect. They wanted they wanted to, you know, not make any mistakes for sure, but make sure that you know, hey, I've got an open shot here, but that guy's got an even better shot. Maybe I can sneak a pass to him, and then it was getting knocked away. Like in the last, um, you know, it's it, in the. In soccer, we would say it in the final third, where they would they would be they would get everything right there until right right in front, and then you can actually complete the play. Um, trying to make one too many passes sometimes. It just they were trying to be too perfect. And then what you mean earlier that had they lost the game and Leonard was in net, it would have been a riot. Yeah. Oh, first of all, why why are you? He's always thinking about Leonard. The fans. He's out. Well, it's, he's out. He, they just announced he's out for the season. They finally because, made it official. It's because you were there in the arena and you see it like. They they announced Logan Thompson. They went nuts like they had just won the Stanley Cup when they announced him in goal, right. which is such a such a slap in the face of somebody who's trying to gut it out for all season. Right. But then Logan Thompson will make like a really easy save, and the place will be like, yeah, yeah, like, dude, that was an easy <laughs> save. What are you doing? What kind of cheering is that? Uh, th- th- them. Them. Is that your JP Lossman cheering? Those people. Or Rob Johnson. Those people. Those people. Yes. It's it's so obnoxious, and you just sit in there, and it's it's. I mean, it's obviously the talk up in the press box. We're like, what is what are these people doing? What are they doing? Like, yes, you've got now you've got Logan Thompson, and then I saw I did see a great. Listen, I don't want to. It's not fair to Logan Thompson to be putting him in this position either. It's not. (laughs) It's just not. You are so caught up in the Leonard stuff. We'll get to the official announcement. It is a shoulder. Which every I don't know. It's a knee. It's a shoulder. It's a torn labrum. It's lower body. I don't, like I have no idea. But VGK did announce it. Uh, let's do a giveaway right now. Let's hook you up for a draft viewing party at Crazy Horse Three this Friday. You get free admission for up to four people. VIP seating. Free bottle service. Three six four eleven hundred. Caller seven is a number. It's the closest place to Allegiant to party for the NFL draft. That'll be day two of the NFL draft, second and third round. And unless the Raiders find a way to trade up to day one, you're going to get to see the Raiders' first pick in the draft. We're going to hook you up. It's Crazy Horse 3. They're partying 
all weekend long. It's one of the coolest spots in town to hang out for the draft. Call her 7364-1100. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select David Carr, quarterback from Fresno State. How can you prove that here? It's not like this is a surprise. Hey, look, 46 touchdowns, 9 interceptions last year. I don't care what level you're playing at. And about the human being, David Carr, there can be no debate. What a person, what a person to build a franchise around, guys. It's time for Cofield and Company's path to the draft. Weird. New York fans chanting something at the end there <laughs> towards David Carr. Mixed results. Wasn't the greatest top pick ever. Mixed results. Believe me, we, we've had some worse ones that we've pointed out in our path to the draft. Let's get to the Texans. Of course, that was the selection back in 2002 of David Carr, brother of Derek Carr, both out of Fresno. John McLean has uh, covered the NFL for a long time. He uh, covers the Texans for the Houston Chronicle and joins Stephen Adam here in Vegas. John, how you doing? Doing great, guys. How are you? We are good. What was the first NFL draft you covered in person? Um, you, in person, you mean going to New York, or are you talking about just covered? Going to New York. Uh, first time I went to New York, let's see, um, was 1997, the first year the Oilers were gone from Houston, and I went for about 10 years in a row. And then the last time was when they had the first overall pick with Jadavion Clowney in 2014. And then they subsequently left New York and started having it around the country. What do you think about this now, taking it you know, back to 97? Because I actually I think I might have covered that draft. I know I covered the 98 draft in person doing some broadcasting for a national network at the time. Um, if someone had told me, hey, they're going to start traveling this thing and they might get hundreds of thousands of people outside for the draft, I would have looked at them like, there's no way. I agree. I thought when they first moved it that that was a mistake. and But it's been a huge success, as is most of what the NFL does when it comes to PR. And, of course, the fans in those cities love it. Um, I'll be at NRG Stadium here. We'll not be in Las Vegas, and I can't wait to see what all they have planned. As someone who's been to Las Vegas a lot, I'm still eager to see what in the world's going to happen to the traffic that is on Las <laughs> Vegas Boulevard almost 24-7, bumper yep. to bumper. Yep. And if I were, if I lived in Vegas, I would not come down to the Strip. And if I worked on the Strip, I think I would – Uber or take a bus. Oh, believe me, I, I have a lot of friends who work down on the strip. And months ago, they were like, "Can I take off?" And they're like, "Nope, you got to work the draft because uh, it's going to be tough to get down there." But we want these big events, so that's what happens, right? We're going to get some traffic. So, uh, what's your memory before we get into the current Texan situation? And they got a couple of picks here in the top thirteen. What is your memory of that draft? The pick we just played, you know, with David Carr, Julius Peppers, who went on to have a great career, uh, went one pick later. What's your memory? You know, looking back, and it was pretty much a lock they were going to take them. I started writing in October. Their first draft choice was going to be David Carr because he started his last year with three victories over big-time programs, and his stats were great. And David had a lot of ability. He could run. They He got beat up the first two years. And the problem was David, he wanted to do a lot of work at home. 
You know, David was a great father, a great son, a great husband, but his he didn't want to spend the time it took at the facility to be a great quarterback. Now, I don't know if he could have. He was mobile. He had a great arm. He was smart. Everybody liked him. He lasted five years. One reason they hired Gary Kubiak in 2006 to replace Dom Capers was Kubiak's reputation with quarterbacks. He came in worked one year, and they said, we got to get another quarterback. And so that's when they traded for Matt Schaub. But uh, the car pick at the time, people were fired up about it. Because you guys know a quarterback gets people fired up more than any other position. So with the Texans this year, they got the third choice and the 13th choice in addition to a bunch of picks later in the draft. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts of how much some of the recent developments have changed things in that – Obviously, they've done all this work on all these players, and all of a sudden, the last you know twenty four hours, we see all this steam, and it looks like people are betting Trayvon Walker like he's already been picked number one. Um, there is lots of rumors out there that Kayvon Thibodeau is already locked in with Detroit at number two. If it's possible that Aiden Hutchinson falls at number three, do they just run the choice up there, throw out the plan they've had for weeks, and say Aiden Hutchinson's our guy? It'd take about five seconds to pick <laughs> Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> And because there's a lot of people comparing him to J.J. Watt when he came out of Wisconsin. And Aiden Hutchinson is a much higher-rated player than Watt was. They got Watt at number 11. And Watt was like Mario Williams, who they took first overall in 06. Nobody paid any attention to him until both of them had outstanding combines. I wrote a column last year going back over everything each of those guys did at the combine and trying to figure out who was best. Williams, of course, was first overall pick, became a really good pass rusher, wide three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year. But I still am not buying Trayvon Walker going number one because you go back and you – and I just did the defensive line for a draft series for the Houston Chronicle that everything he did in college, he moved around, he dropped into coverage, but he never had – great stats, and people want to say it's because he had so much talent around him. Okay, if he had all that talent around him and he's worthy of being the number one pick and the others are not, uh, how come he didn't have better statistics? And um, everything he's done to impress people has been in shorts and a T-shirt. Now, I know he played hard all the time, and that's important, opposite of Kayvon Thibodeau. And so uh, I am skeptical of people who make all their inroads in shorts and T-shirts. But that being said, if, say, Hutchinson went first and Thibodeau went second, I think the Texans would take Walker. They need a defensive end. They got a, they need a right defensive end. The rest of their starting line is in place. But they also need to improve the worst running game in, in franchise history, worse than NFL, and that would start with a lineman like Iquanu or Evan Neal. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they take – I'm pretty sure – they're going to take an offensive lineman or a defensive end. And ideally, if they take one with a third pick, they would get the other, like Jermaine Johnson the second with a 13th pick. How much do you think one one plays into the other? Like in terms of do you take the best – if you're them, are they taking the best player that's there at three? Or are they kind of doing a calculation of – well, if we take this guy, we're more likely to get that other position at 13 and try to play it that way, try to game the system a little bit. 
In my 45 drafts, I've actually seen few general managers who took the best player. <laughs> they all spout this rhetoric about, oh, no, we don't take need. We take the players at the best position. In almost every case, they take the best player at a need position, and that's what each of them are going to do. And that's what the Texans will do. And if they take somebody from offense with a third pick, and I'd be real surprised Nick Casario doesn't trade uh, down from three, but he said nobody's trying to trade up. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't trade up from 13. And the player I would love to see him trade up with, and I don't think it would have to be far, is wide receiver Jamison Williams. And then give him how long he needs to uh, heal that ACL that he tore in the national championship game and put him out there with Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, third-round pick last year. And then they could still get another need position with their first pick in the second round. They've got five of the top 80, and I think he's going to move around. That's what he did last year with his first draft. Didn't have first or second-round picks. Took Davis Mills in the third. They're really high on Davis Mills. Then he traded back in the third round to get wide receiver Nico Collins from Michigan. So I don't think... Casario will stand pat uh, because it's just not in his nature. He gets ants in his pants when he's making picks. Just like today, he trades a six and a seven to New England for a five, and he had three sixes. So um, I would think he might utilize some of his picks. He's got 11 next year, 10 the year after. So he's been stockpiling draft choices. And they need to be better on their pass rush. They need to be better in their offensive line. They need a running back, I think, in the second round, like Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, because most of the best running backs this past season were drafted in the second round. And as you guys know, a lot of people have them taking Sauce Gardner. Well, you could have Deion Sanders and Sauce Gardner playing corner, and if you can't get the quarterback and he just runs around waiting for receivers <laughs> to get open, you're wasting those picks, just like a lot of people have them taking Kyle Hamilton. There's only so much he can do if they can't get the quarterback, and I think their picks start up front before they start moving toward the back, and I wouldn't mind seeing him trade from the 37th overall back into the bottom of the first round, and if he doesn't take a physical blocker like Iki Aquino, say he takes a pass rusher. And then if he took Jamison Williams trade back for a butt kicking guard like Kenyon Green from Texas A and M or Zion Johnson from Boston College. So a lot of scenarios that are possible there obviously uh, as as you're breaking it down. Um do you think like we keep hearing all these teams are trying to trade out. You just mentioned the Texans would love to trade out of three Nobody's really trying to trade up, especially because there's no premium quarterbacks up there that anybody wants to trade up for. So do you think this year in particular that that trade chart that all these GMs use that are talked about so often, do you think the value of some of these picks just goes down a little? Do you say, hey, we, we know that it's not the right value, but we want to trade down so much that we're just going to abandon that and just say we'll take whatever we can get to trade out of here? I think they'll use it as a resource. But uh, if nobody's offering you anything, you're not, you know, there's no quarterback worth taking third overall. You know, whatever they do in this draft, they're going to be reaching for Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter unless they take them in the bottom of the first round or in the second round. That's not going to happen. And if you do need a quarterback, I'd stick with what you got because next year is going to be a great quarterback draft, beginning with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud if they come out like everybody is predicting they will. That is going to be so much better 
than this year when it comes to quarterback prospects. You mentioned Kyle Hamilton, and there's been people that had him at third. I, early in the process, had him at third. Um, but for the same reasons that you just mentioned, you, you really can't put him up there. But if he did fall to 13, like he is the kind of guy that kind of erases some of the problems that you make up front on defense just by being that last line of defense that covers some of your mistakes. Do you think they would go for him at 13? Yeah, absolutely. They like Kyle Hamilton a lot. And uh, one of the things that people, when I see people have him taking Sauce Gardner at third, very rare do you see a corner seat to go that high. But in Lovey Smith's defense, he doesn't blitz much. He they they blitzed, I think, the fourth fewest times in the league. That he likes to get his pass rush from his front four. That's why a defensive end play opposite Jonathan Grenard, who had a breakout season as a pass rusher in his second year, is so important. But if you play a lot of zone, to me, you don't draft a corner that high because you draft a corner that high, he's got to be able to cover receivers all over the field. And in Lovey's defense, he likes to play zone because they get a lot of turnovers. And the way you get a lot of turnovers is you're looking at the ball. He's explained that so many times, and I just don't think you take a, a corner that high if he's going to be playing zone three half the time or three-quarters of the time. It's almost a waste to have a guy that great, and he's playing zone. It's John McClain, long time cover, covering the – Texans and Houston football, I guess, in particular. Um, uh, as far as Lovey Smith, you just mentioned him, so I wanted to follow up on that. I have heard the case made that of the teams in the top five or six, the Texans do make some sense for Thibodeau because he might mesh well with Lovey Smith, who might be able to unlock him a little bit. Would you think that would make sense to you? All I know is if you got the third overall pick, there better not be any questions. <laughs> And there are questions about Thibodeau. Too many people have watched his tape and thinks he takes off too many, too many plays. He's got phenomenal talent. And I remember at the Combine, he did an interview in which he was livid that people think he took off so many plays. And then after the interview, he didn't do some of the drills. So he's going to come in the NFL with a chip on his shoulder. And I don't think he's going to last past, not be taken among the top seven or eight. But you can't have questions like this about the third overall pick. That's why Iki Kwanu, Evan Neal, Trayvon Walker, those guys, I think they'll end up with one of those three there. And now watch them go out and take Thibodeau or Sauce Gardner right. after I've done all this analysis. <laughs> John, excellent spot. We appreciate all the information on the Texans. Enjoy the draft this week, okay? My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me. There he is, veteran NFL reporter John McClain covering the Houston scene. They're going to be super active. Casario has a chance to be one of the, well, you know, in a draft without quarterbacks, uh, high-level quarterbacks, uh, highly drafted quarterbacks in terms of, uh, you know, a top 15 pick. They have a chance to be one of the movers and shakers. But they're actually, there could be a ton of movement in this because so many teams have two picks in the first round. But I also, and I know that you have questions about the quarterbacks next year, I think that I would be giving up some of my capital this year to – get extra capital next year if I was the Texans because I would want to have control of the draft in terms of, hey, if I need two picks to move up to number one, I want to be able to do that. So I would be looking at leveraging some of that capital this year to get two first-round picks next year. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Comes. Cold strike three, and Schwarber is thrown out of the game, and he had zero issue with getting thrown out, making it very clear him inside, outside, up and down. Kyle Schwarber thrown out after being punched out by Angel Hernandez. Joe may go too. He gives no F's, and that's why you love him. 
It's Dave Koken on Cofield and Company. Well, in terms of being accurate with balls and strikes and humping in general, Angel Hernandez gives no Fs. <laughs> Very frustrating dude for a lot of baseball fans and people inside the game. I know Koken's pointed out how inconsistent the umpire is. Dave, how you doing, buddy? He lives up to his reputation. Um, he's widely considered the worst umpire in the game and, and continuously lives up to it, and baseball does nothing about it. Fill me in. How does he keep his job? Well, they got a strong union. Huh. That's about it, because he can't be there on his merits. With all the data and everything that we have now, have, have you noticed other – I mean, he doesn't care. He won't pay attention, and he does what he does and is obnoxious about it to a fault – have you noticed other umpires maybe adjusting themselves a little bit? Because like we see things like Adrian Hernandez yesterday was only 85% accurate on balls and strike counts. Like we know these things now. Other umpires have to be adjusting, even if like the old curmudgeons are not. Well, you would hope so. Uh, but I saw one of the younger umpires, a guy named DeJesus, working a game, and he must have missed 20 calls in the game. <laughs> um, look, I, I mean, I've made my stance clear on this. I want RoboUmp. I, I, and the argument that I hear is, well, it takes a human element out of the game. Uh, I have never in my life, and I'm almost 70, have never in my life heard of anybody who bought a ticket to a game or turned it on because of an umpire working a game. I, lo- I love the cl- closest, closest we came to that was Ron Luciano, <laughs> who was kind of fun to watch uh, and was a pretty good umpire, too. Um, but nobody bought tickets to go see him uh, umpire. What what did you what did you think of Schwarber just absolutely losing it on Hernandez? Good, I think he, he was representative of both teams. I watched most of the game, and uh, I, I guess eighty five percent sounds about accurate, and that's really bad. Yeah, eighty five percent would be great in my profession, but uh, yeah. in that profession, it's pretty bad. It shouldn't be worse than ninety five percent. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was bad in that he. Uh, missed so many calls. Actually, you know, 85.3%. Six batters were called out for a third strike on pitches that were outside the zone. That's just unacceptable. How, uh, much, how, how much do you take that into consideration in handicapping when you got a guy like that? Which way is he going to go? Yeah, it's true. I, I don't know how you handicap that. One game he might be calling strikes that are balls. The other next game he might be calling balls that are strikes. So I... I don't know. If, any, if anybody can figure that out, go ahead. Yankees fans uh, were at their at their absolute best over the weekend, <laughs> we saw, uh, with the behavior out in the stands. And uh, Miles Straw went up there. He was uh, called Peter Parker for climbing up like Spider-Man. Uh, but we know that's not going to be good for the relationship. And Sunday we saw even worse, the, just the attacks uh, going after him. Uh, I guess what did you make of that whole situation? Well, Miles Straw can't climb the wall. Okay, that's that's number one. I mean, you just you got to take it. All right, if, if if it's just verbal. Now, if they start throwing stuff, that's different. Uh, as for look, it's on video. Um, find the fans who did it and arrest them and prosecute them and throw them out of baseball. Don't let them in any old ballpark as long as they live. Dave Kokens with us. All right, Dave. Let's talk about some of the uh, series from weekend past, and we'll look ahead. Uh, Minnesota wound up sweeping Chicago, uh, generally as a small favorite or small dog. Uh, let's look at the Chicago side first. Is there something wrong with the White Sox? They really haven't gotten out of the gates very well. Yeah, 
half the teams on the injured list. Uh, that's number one. That's, that's hurt their offense tremendously. And this is what happens with bullpens. This is why you don't spend money on big money on bullpens. Uh, because Aaron Bummer at this point stinks. Uh, Liam Hendricks has more interviews done on a daily basis than anybody in baseball, it seems. And maybe that's why he's not pitching well, but he hasn't been very good. Uh, they got problems. That bullpen, which is supposed to be one of their strengths, is a weakness right now. And I don't, and La Russa, Byron Buxton's run doesn't mean anything. What are you doing pitching to him with first base open? You buying Minnesota is real? Oh, yeah. Okay. As long as Buxton's on the field. Yep. That's the big key. He might be the best player in the game right now. And uh, the problem is he, you know, 100 games seems to be his max. Yeah, their uh, their season win total back, you know, before whatever, April 1st was uh, 77 and a half. I think it finished up at 81 and a half. So they have a chance to be a, a pretty good team, especially if their young pitching comes through. The red story to me is uh, the only way they're going to be anything better than like a 55-win team is if their young pitching is good. Like, awesome, good. They finally won a game, but the Reds have been a friggin' mess, and they're actually the losingest team. I think they're minus 841 bucks. Uh, losingest team in baseball. Well, they've been my winningest team because I've been betting against them every game. Yeah. But the odds makers finally caught up. I, Padres are like a dollar eighty on the road tomorrow, so uh, I guess I'll stop uh, for the time being. But they are terrible, and I don't see how they're not going to end up with the worst record in baseball. And they're probably going to still trade away, guys. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ownership has made it clear. Yeah. And now they made it as well. Because now it's a case of you might as well go get prospects now for whatever you got. Because you've got, you've got no chance with what you've got. I don't think I'll trade Votto unless he asks to go, but some of the other guys could be on the move. Right. Dave Koka and wagertalk.com is where you find his stuff. Um, interesting week for Major League Baseball players of the week. One, Miggy, Miguel Cabrera gets his 3,000th hit. He's what, uh, just one of seven players with 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Uh, talk about his legacy and, and what 3,000 hits means now in this era. It means a ton. Because we're not going to get another one for a long time. If we're going to, I mean, it might be ten years before we get another one. Uh, Altuve maybe has a shot, uh, but uh, Trout, I don't know that he'll stay healthy enough and play that long. And uh, there's one other guy who maybe, if he extends out over the next ten years, I'm blanking on who it is. But Altuve is the best bet for it, and he's he's got a long way to go, and his production has dropped off. So, uh, it, it's it's huge. It's kind of like three hundred win. Or t- well, three hundred wins isn't going to happen any ever again. But even two hundred wins in baseballs going to be rare now. And so it's three thousand hits. It, it's amazing because I, I saw people say like, "Yeah, this, we're not going to see this for a long time. Nobody's going to get to three thousand. And then they were like, "Well, Altuve needs like thirteen hundred, and uh, Freddie Freeman needs like twelve hundred. I was like, "Oh, they, they're going to get there." And then I looked. Altuve's thirty one. Freddie Freeman's yeah. thirty two. I had no idea they were that old. Well, the game's changed somewhat. Um, yep. You know, batting averages are down uh, as guys go for home runs. And part of that is the shift, by the way, because players can't hit to their tendencies for base hits. They've got to try and get it past all that. So I, I'm starting to come around to uh, outlawing the shift. I think it might be good for the game. Oh, wow. Dave Koken with us. All right, Dave, let's close on the night. 
They blow another one on Sunday. And now the goalie thing has just become completely embarrassing. Today, VGK announced they'll be shutting down Robin Leonard after it came out late in the week, and then there were some denials. This thing, I mean, they were already, you, you, you talked about the goalie situation being a mess months ago. We were just talking about on the ice. They've really mismanaged this whole thing. Yeah, I think the only question now is who's going to go. Because I would guess either McCrimmon or DeBoer is going. One of the two. They're not both, they're not both going to be back. Uh, my my bet is it's McCrimmon uh, and DeBoer will be on the hot seat going into next season because they don't wait around in the NHL. Would you be surprised if it's both? Yeah, I think one's going to one's gonna catch the heat huh. uh, this spring. The other's going to be in the hot seat going in, though. I don't think they'll both go um, this spring, mainly because they do have the excuse. I mean, it kind of hollowed out with all the guys returning late in the season. But they do have the excuse that their season did get ruined by injuries. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you know, if this team stays healthy, they'd have made, they'd, they might not have been a great team, but they'd have, made, they'd have made the playoffs. Dave, we appreciate it, man. Have a good week. All right, guys. Enjoyed it. There he is. Dave Koken. Win some money. Wagertalk.com, wagertalk.com. On the all-time hit list, yeah, that is kind of crazy. You know, when you look at the current leaders and you've got guys, you know, two of them over 3,000 hits and Pujols and Cabrera, and then Robbie Cano is not going to make it, you know, another month here. He's got 2631. Yadier Molina has 2,116 hits, but, you know, he's a catcher. He's not going to get 900 more hits or 800 Last more year. hits. Uh, Joey Votto, as good a career as he's had, he's got 2,035. He's got 2,035 hits. Wow. Yeah, it's, well, it's you're you're the one, although you're the one who often bust on longevity guys that you know guys like Jeter and Biggio maybe weren't that good they just stayed around a long time yeah yeah well and my problem with Jeter is obviously oh he's such a great defensive player yeah because he couldn't get to anything well he's overhyped sure. he's overhyped as a New York guy sure and the other thing we should throw in with, with Cabrera uh, now with three thousand and two hits is he's basically been station to station for like five years so there are no infield singles he's not beating anything out there are there's nothing cheap that he gets in terms of a hit now yeah well he also like he came up at like 16 years old which is crazy. nuts that he but he's an unbelievable hitter like it, it's it's been a, a joy to watch him in Detroit what really the only joy that Detroit fans have had for a long time now his second year in Florida going all the way back to 2004 yeah we were around uh he was 21 years old because he played 87 games a year before but his first full season, he was 21 years old. He had 33 homers, 112 ribs, and a batting average just below 300. And then after that, I mean, he hit 300 pretty much every year for like the next 13 years. Didn't he play in the Bartman game? That game was like 30 years ago. He was playing. That's nuts.